We'll start today's session with a review. What information is contained within the periphery of the K-space? The periphery of K-space contains higher spatial frequency. That means it contains information regarding the borders of structure. So high spatial frequency. If we don't have that, the image will be blurred and it controls how smooth the lines in that image. That is the effect of higher spatial frequency. Under sampling of the higher spatial frequency where it results in truncation artifact. Another name for truncation artifact is Gibbs ringing. What is a typical T R and T E time for a T1 weighted image? So a typical TR time for a T1 weighted image is between 400 to 600 milliseconds and for TE it's typically around 10 milliseconds. Again, TR is about 500. That's the, If I were to remember a number, I remember TR is 500 and TE is 10 milliseconds. Now we said for T1 property of an image, T1 is both short on TR time and short on TE time. So T2 image will be long on TR time and long on TE time, which means it will be longer TR, so we said 500, so it will be more in the 1,000, and TE time will be longer, so it would be like 100 or so. Which parameters can we change to make a thinner slice on MRI? We talked about this in the last episode. We said in order to get a thinner slice, we use a steeper gradient, and we use a narrow band RF pulse. The narrower the band of the RF pulse, or the smaller the band of the RF pulse, pulse the smaller our slice, and the steeper the band of our gradient, or the slice select gradient, the thinner is our slice. What are the TE and TR times of proton weighted density image? So proton density imaging property for it is a long TR, so long T1, and short TE time, so short T2 time. Again, proton density image is long TR and short TE. T1 weighted image is short TE and short TR. And finally, T2 weighted image is long TR and long TE. What are common uses for gradient coils? Gradient coils, we said these are coils that will allow us to do the slice select gradient. If you remember, we, are, we said we have variable gradient across the long axis of the patient. That's the main purpose for them. They can be used for dictating the phase and frequency encoding steps or for creating spoiler or flow sensitization gradient. Key thing to know about them is they cannot be used for RF pulse transmission or reception. And that's easy to understand because if you remember, we said they control the slice selection gradient and the other component of slice selection is transmitting the RF pulse. So they cannot do both function. They only do the gradient and then another coil or transmitter coil will send the RF pulse. Little review about spin echo sequence and the 180 degree refocus and pulse. What is the time that we send the 180 degree refocusing pulse? The 180 degree refocusing pulse 
is set or activated at half TE time. So right between the RF pulse and the echo, the time in between is considered half TE time. And that's when we send the or activate the 180 degree refocus impulse. They can trick you and ask you different ways about when we send the refocus impulse. They'll say at 1 TE and they want you to know that it's not sent at time of 1 TE, rather half TE time. What is the relationship between changes in precession frequency and changes in the magnetic field? What this question is trying to get at is to know that you understand the equation that relates precession frequency, the magnetic field, and the magnetic field strength. So that equation is the precession frequency equals the gyromagnetic ratio multiplied by the magnetic field strength. So if we're talking about one Tesla and the gyromagnetic ratio, typically it's 42.6 multiplied by the magnetic field will get the precession frequency. So as we increase the magnetic field strength, the precession frequency is linearly increased. Again, it's linearly increased and that's important. They can trick you and say uh, exponentially increased, but you they want you to know that there is a linear relationship between the precession frequency and the magnetic field strength. How does functional imaging of the brain works? Functional imaging is basically assessment of the percentage of oxygenated or oxyhemoglobin compared to deoxyhemoglobin. The way it works, when a portion of the brain is activated, there is increased blood flow. Increased blood flow will lower the percentage of deoxyhemoglobin, which is considered paramagnetic. Again, deoxyhemoglobin is considered paramagnetic, and so it has different signal characteristic from oxyhemoglobin. And when we have decreased in the ratio of deoxyhemoglobin compared to oxyhemoglobin, this will give us a different imaging appearance. The imaging appearance really depends on the T2 star effect. So there would be increased T-star effect in areas that are activated because there is increase in percentage of oxyhemoglobin. If there is increase in deoxyhemoglobin areas under active, there will be decrease in the T2-star again. We'll have increased T2-star effect due to increased oxygen levels or oxyhemoglobin or oxygenated hemoglobin in the brain, and that's how functional MRI works. question that can be asked relates to imaging appearance or differences between fast spin echo and standard spin echo. And they can ask this scenario in multiple ways. They can give you two T2 images and ask you which, was, which one is actually fast spin echo and which one is a standard spin echo. Or they can ask you, consequences of using one sequence over the other. Now, the two things you need to know is fast spin echo takes less time. That's the word fast because we, for each phasing encoding step, we use multiple refocusing pulses or multiple 180 degree refocusing pulses. Now, because we're getting more images and more pulses for each phase encoding gradient, there is increased specific absorption rate in fast spin echo. Inversely is true in 
standard spin echo, there is less specific absorption rate because as you would imagine, the imaging time is spread over time. And so over time, that same effect is decreased because it's spread over time. Another key thing that they can test or ask about is the fat appearance. Fat will actually look darker on a standard T2 spin echo than it would appear on a T2 fast spin echo. And that's for something called J-coupling. We're not going to go into it. But just know that fat appears brighter on fast spin echo than standard spin echo. Again, fat is brighter on fast spin echo. Fast stands for fat is bright. So fat is brighter on fast spin echo. So they can show you two T-weighted images and ask you which one is fast. It's the one with the brighter fat. Which tissues can be selectively suppressed with inversion recovery sequence. So here what we're talking about is what tissue has a very unique properties in terms of the inversion recovery sequence and typically we're talking about the T1 time of the tissue. We know that most common tissues are fat, muscle, water, or brain tissue and what we're looking for, which of these tissue really has specific T1 properties that we can suppress it. Well, T1 for fat, fat has short T1 time because it's bright on T1, but gadolinium can cause shortening of T1 time. Methemoglobin can shorten T1 time just like gadolinium is. And then muscle is in between brain parenchyma is in between, blood is also in between. Water has a long T1 time. That's why it's T1 dark, because it has a very long T1 time. Additionally, water signal is very homogeneous. That's why we can specifically null or suppress water signal in inversion recovery sequence because it has very unique properties and it has a very long T1 time that if we suppress it, we're not going to interfere with other additional imaging property of the rest of the tissue. This is a question I asked once before, and it relates to downside of imaging the brain at 3 Tesla compared to 1.5 Tesla. The key thing that they want you to know or is important to know that the gray-white matter differentiation is actually much worse on 3T compared to 1.5T. What is parallel MRI imaging? That's the ability to fill the case space using multiple uh, receiving RF coils with independent RF signals. So we can fill, we can image a whole lot faster, just like multi-slice CT scan. We can create multi-slice and get the imaging faster using the parallel imaging. What is the T1 time of water? This is really important to know just because of the unique properties of water. T1 time of water is five seconds, which is a very, very long time. That's why water is always dark on T1 because we're not gonna wait until water regains its longitudinal signal. Remember what we discussed about functional MRI imaging and we said that deoxyhemoglobin is paramagnetic and it lowers the T2 star signal or signal from T2 star weighted imaging we said the whole concept depends on increase in the oxyhemoglobin. 
That's because oxyhemoglobin is considered dimagnetic, just like calcium and water, and so it will increase T2 star signal. Now, methemoglobin, which is permagnetic, it's more permagnetic than dioxyhemoglobin, but the key thing to know that oxyhemoglobin is diamagnetic material compared to dioxy and methemoglobin. This is a question I asked before multiple times, but I will ask it because of it's important. What does number of excitation stands for? Remember we said when we talked about the time of standard spin echo acquisition or even the fast spin echo acquisition, we said it's TR times times number of phase encoding steps times the number of excitation. And if we're talking about fast spin echo, we talk about the number of slices divided by the turbo factor. What is the number of excitation? Number of excitation stands for the number of times that each line of case space is acquired or filled. And so we repeat that number to get a higher signal to noise ratio. Again, number of excitation is the number of times that each line or each data point in the case space is acquired. And the more we repeat it, obviously more time to get the image just based on what we talked about, but also it will increase our signal-to-noise ratio. It does not increase resolution because resolution depends on matrix size, and we're going to talk about this later, but it will improve our signal-to-noise ratio. Review from yesterday where we asked multiple times about how to get a thinner MRI slice. Now, how do we get a thicker MRI slice? Number one, we can have decreased or low slice select gradient, and the other option is to increase our transmit bandwidth Again, the RF bandwidth, the transmitter bandwidth, if we increase it, we'll be able to activate thicker number of protons that are rotating in a specific precession frequency, meaning we're increasing the range that we're activating the uh, protons in, and that gives us a thicker slice.